Today we are in Psalms chapter 50. And the title of my message is Giving God Your Best. In the 1700s, there was an English poet and hymn writer named William Cowper. He was so different that they institutionalized him for being mentally insane. But later, he met a man named Jesus Christ in 1773 and became one of our greatest poets and hymn writers in the history of Christendom. He wrote Light Shining Out of Darkness and many others. And here's one of his quotes that I thought was very fitting for today. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Psalms chapter 50, verse 14. We'll go through the entire chapter, but we're going to just highlight verse 14. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows and your offerings to the most high. The word worship we've taught you many times is an intimate word. It means to kiss toward. Worship always involves intimacy, obedience, and sacrifice. It includes thanksgiving and heartfelt praise. Worship is not something that we do when times are good. It's something we do because God is good. And it's something we're supposed to be involved in, not weekly, not monthly, but daily. He is supposed to be the Lord of our lives and the King of our hearts. Half-hearted worship, the Bible teaches us, is offensive to God. It's referred to as an abomination when we go through the rituals of singing or coming to church or doing good things and we're far from God. It's an abomination, the Bible teaches. External rituals and empty routines will not advance God's kingdom in the current culture in which we live. We must move forward with God. We must advance. Our heart must be joined to God the Father. This particular psalm was written by Asaph, who was one of King David's three main worship leaders. He was a choir leader. And yes, we still have a choir here. And we're believing its best days are ahead of it. He led the choir and directed music for Israel's corporate worship gatherings. This psalm was the first of 12 he wrote. And this psalm is about the heart of worship. Worship is not simply about music and song, although that is a part of it. It's about the condition of our hearts. It's about what we give to God. Not only our faith, but our finances, our lives are everything. In the first six verses, we have first a confrontation. Everybody say confrontation. God is confronting the people through Asaph about their half-hearted worship. In the next six verses from seven to 13, we then have a challenge. They are challenged to get their heart rights. And that's what I'm challenging you to do before advance 22, before we host this revival, is to first get your hearts right so that we might embrace the new thing that God has for us. 
so that we might embrace a move of God like we've never seen before. Verse 14 and 15, we go from confrontation and, ch and a challenge to then correction. He brings correction to the people of God and he defines what true worship is. And in the final verses, we have condemnation. He condemns the ungodly. In fact, he says he'll tear them apart. But at the end of that, he releases favor to the faithful. So the good news is if you've been faithful to give to God offerings, to pay your vows, to pray, to worship, to have intimacy with God in your prayer closet, then God will release favor. You know, in every season, God's blessing someone and someone is paying the consequences for past decisions. I don't know about you, but I want to be the, the one that's getting favor released on him. Amen? I, I don't want to be under condemnation. I want to be under grace. I, I want to get what God's best in this season. And I believe if we'll get our hearts right, we indeed will experience the best of who God is and the best life that he has for all of us. Many of us give God what's left instead of giving him our best and our first. There was a cow and a chicken having a conversation. The chicken said to the cow, why don't we make breakfast for our owners? They've been so good to feed us and take care of us. I'll give the eggs and you give the country fried steak. The cow said, not so fast. For you, that's an offering, but for me, that's a sacrifice. <laughs> I'm telling you, we need to learn the difference between a little offering and a sacrifice. And I'm not one of those preachers that's going to promise you're going to be a millionaire if you give. I don't believe that. There is a whole process that must take place for you to truly walk in financial favor. If you really want to know, go to YouTube Type my name and put, are you blessed? There are two messages there and I will give you the recipe for biblical prosperity and it's not goofy and it doesn't give you false hope. It is what has to happen. You can sow all you want, but if you don't have a plan or know who you are in Christ or know what your gift is, you're never gonna reap a harvest. You can give all day to whoever you want to, but if you don't know who you are, what you're good at, then you will not be able to walk in the blessing and favor of God. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. In Psalm 50, Yahweh is summoning the people and he is confronting them and challenging them because they haven't been faithful. In the first seven verses, as I said, in this dramatic scene, there is a confrontation. Here's what it says. The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come, shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him. And it shall be very tempestuous all around him. And then if you go to verse 7, this is the key part in this first part of this psalm. Here. Oh, my people, and I will speak, O oh Israel, and I will testify against you, against you. So we know not only in the old covenant, but even in the new covenant, there, there comes a time where a reckoning will take place with God. Now, I am a grace preacher. That is who I am. 
However, more than being a grace preacher, I'm a biblical preacher. And there comes an end in the book of Revelation to all the hatred and the nonsense and the backbiting and the backsliding. At some point, you have to set your heart on the things of God. You have to take God seriously and you have to begin to do the things he's called you to do. Now, salvation's all about a free gift of grace. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we might be saved, blessed, filled, healed. We have the keys to the kingdom. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. But if you've been saved 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 years, and you're still on first base with salvation, and you've never moved off that base to biblical principles to the word of God, to the spirit of God, and you've never taken responsibility for who God's called you to be, then friend, you're missing out on the kingdom of God. And so many people think a salvation decision is the end. It is the beginning. It is the very beginning of your journey with God. And if you stop there, you'll hinder God's favor, his blessing on your life. God himself will bear witness. He says in this passage of scripture that the people kept back what they had promised to do and bring continually. In verse eight and nine, the challenge is issued. This is what it says. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds. In other words, God is not going to come into your bank account and steal your money. God is not going to force you to give generously to his kingdom. That's not who God is. Because of Jesus, we are under grace. So it's not I have to give, it's I want to give. Give and it shall be given unto you. We are called to be generous, those of us that know Jesus Christ. It's not have to, it's want to, it's get to, it's blessed to. I'm blessed to give. I'm blessed to be a part of God's kingdom work. I'm blessed to do missions. I'm blessed to help other people. I'm blessed that I woke up today and had breath in my lungs and something to do. It says, a bull from your house or goats out of your fold. Cattle and livestock in that day represented money and wealth. That's exactly what it represented. It didn't represent a double cheeseburger with extra mustard. The Bible says that Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith that we are grafted into by the blood of Jesus was rich in livestock. Cattle represents wealth. Tithing offerings in that day were the sacrifices of cattle or their wealth. And so when you see that, it sounds strange because some people love animals more than human beings. Even our contemporary word bucks comes from the use of deer skins for money in the old days. Cattle was and still an instrumental part of God's creation. Genesis 1 verse 21, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and any creeping thing and the beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. So God gave us dominion and authority over the wealth of the world, the cattle, the livestock, 
the currency. We've been given as kingdom kids dominion over that. Can somebody give me an amen? See, some of you hear preachers preach this stuff and you think we're just goofy. But the truth is, if you've ever experienced just a taste of kingdom, if you've ever seen God move miraculously on a business deal, or God provide a promotion that you didn't deserve, or or God come through and heal somebody after a seed's been sown, I mean, I get my faith built all the time, not because of preaching, but because of the testimony I hear from Abba's house members. Weekly promotion, things that have happened just recently, and I'm not going to mention his name, but you know who he is. He called me this past week and he said, listen, I got to tell you something. And I said, what? He said, remember a few months ago, uh, I came down to the altar and uh, I gave your ministry a thousand dollar seed. I said, yes, sir. I remember that. He said, well, ours was struggling. And instead of giving to our ministry, we said, we're going to give to yours. And he said, can I be honest with you? I said, absolutely. Be honest with me. He said, I've been Baptist for 50 years and I've always tithed, but this seed stuff is weird to me. He said, but we got so desperate, I just thought we'd try it. I hear you preach about it all the time. And he said, can I tell you something? I said, yeah. He said, a man that's never given me above $2,000 just wrote me a check for $27,000. A 27-fold return on a $1,000 seed. That's what God can do. And it happens all the time. It doesn't just happen in church. It happens in business. It's called investing. If you pray about where to invest or what to buy, I believe with all of my heart, the Holy Spirit that is a guide, a teacher will show you what to invest, what to spend your money on, what to pull your money back from, who to marry, who to have relationships with. The Holy Spirit will guide you. We've been given dominion over the wealth of the world. God preserved wealth and the cattle during the great flood. That is the principle of the offering. God requires not only the first fruits of humanity, but the first of cattle and the first of our income. It's called the tithe. Everybody say tithe. And I love Creflo Dollar, but he's got $60 million planes. He may not need it. We're trying to do some work here. We need it. Now, it is a grace act. I agree with Dr. Dollar. I love him. But let me tell you this. Every time you uphold biblical standards and biblical principles, it brings protection and blessing to your life. Don't get caught up in the semantics of old covenant, new covenant, and all of these kinds of things. Listen, if you do something with the right spirit and the Bible says to do it, you will not lose. You will win in the end. The principle of the offering. Then there's the principle of multiplication. I'm excited about Ron Carpenter Jr. coming back because the first time he was here, he told me he'd only ever ever done this to two other people, that I was the third. And he called me up here the first year, I think it was 2018 or 19, and he calls me up here and he lays hands on me and he prophesied multiplication over my life, over Kelly's life. And I am telling you, on the blood of Jesus, I'm living what the man spoke over me. And Tommy Barnett spoke the same thing over him 25 years earlier. And I am telling you, I'm walking in it. And this church is walking in it. But there is the principle of the tithe. There is the principle of multiplication. When you sow a seed, you expect a harvest. A seed demands a harvest. God multiplied the cattle. That happens in accordance with faithfulness. 
as the people of the old covenant offered their gifts to God and with sacrifices, he would give them more in return. Psalms 107 verse 38. He also blesses them, check this out, and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. Psalms 107 verse 38. Let me read it again. He blesses them, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. Somebody give him some praise. God will never force you to give, nor does God need your gifts. You don't hear many preachers say that, especially megachurches. God doesn't need your gift. He's not up in heaven going, man, if Clarence would just give more, I might could do something down there. We are blessed to get to do it. We are honored to get to do it. He's given us everything, eternal life, second, third, fourth chances. He's loved us when nobody else would love us. He rescued us when we didn't deserve it. He filled us up when we were empty. And we get to see our saved loved ones again because his word is true. What more could he do for us than that? Hallelujah. I'm down. I'm glad somebody's excited. Verse 9 I will not take a bull from your house, Psalm 50, nor goats out of your folds. I will not do it, for every beast of the forest is mine, saith the Lord, and the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, God owns it all. I'm getting ahead of myself. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. In other words, God's saying, listen, if I'm hungry, if I'm thirsty, if I need something, I'm not even gonna tell you what I need because he loves you so much. He's God of the universe, but you're his creation and he just wants intimacy with you. He wants you to have his heart and he wants to have a relationship with you. And when you have a relationship, generosity is a byproduct of the relationship. Amen? If you love somebody, unless you're crazy, you want to bless them. You know, I've got people that love me that don't have anything, but they'll find a way to, to do something that'll bless me. And I've got people in my life that, that they could buy and sell me a hundred times, but I try to find a way to do what I can do to be a blessing to them. When you love someone, you'll be generous. When you love someone, you want to do for them. If you love your children, don't you want to do good to your children? So does our heavenly Father. Will I eat the flesh of the bulls or drink the blood of goats? Verse 13, and here, verse 14. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. So why should we offer God our very best in this particular season? Inflation is at an all-time high. Groceries are more expensive than I've ever seen them. Gas is back and forth. It's very difficult for people to travel. And listen, if you're in poverty and on the street, I, I, I'm not preaching this to you, but in the midst of this psalm, we see that favor is released to the faithful. And I know some people blessed in this crazy season. How many of you say, I'm blessed? I'm blessed. So some people that are kingdom, they aren't being affected or depressed by 
all of these things going on in our current culture. Why? Because we know a king. And the king has all the resources. And if we're connected to the king and his kingdom, then we don't have to watch Fox News or CNN to get some encouragement every night. We have access to a king and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So I don't get all tore up about this stuff. God will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. I believe it. So let me give you some reasons why I think we should bring our best gift for this fall forward offering right now. Number one, because God owns it all. It's his anyways. Can I get an amen? amen. You can't take a penny of it with you. If you make $10 an hour, you're worth 10 million. You can't take it with you. God owns it all. Number two, I believe we should bring our best gift in this season because we made a promise to God. We promised to follow him. We promised to serve him. We promised to sow into his kingdom. We promised to be faithful over a few things. Those of us that truly know Jesus made a covenant with Jesus. This is what it says in verse five. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by way of sacrifice. Isn't that good? Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. We're starting to get the gather part right. Now we gotta get the sacrifice part right, amen? We're starting to gather again. Now we've gotta get the sacrifice right. We are in covenant with God because of the blood of Jesus. We are grafted into the blessing of Abraham. We have the heart and the access to more. Everybody say more. more. He gave his very best for us. Now we are called to sacrifice so that his message can go out to the ends of the earth, so that the heart of compassion can reach our city, so that we can take good care of our team. You know, you may not realize, but either part-time or full-time, we, you know, we've got 37, 38 people here we want to take good care of. And if you want your employer to take good care of you, you should take care of the employees of the house of God. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. And you have, Abba's House. You've done a great job. We've been able to give our team bonuses almost every December because of your generosity. You've been fabulous, most of you that know Jesus. You realize what I'm preaching today. It's not offensive to you because it's your life. Many of you, and you know who you are. I'll never forget, I was pastoring at Truth Tabernacle of Praise in Stone Mountain, Georgia. There were 56 languages spoken within a three mile radius of this church. It was the first time I've ever pastored away from home. And, I, and I'd been there a few months and Easter Sunday was coming up and we were like $20,000 behind budget. It was a pretty scary time for a, a young pastor. I really didn't know. Uh, I just was crazy enough to get up and sow some seed and prophesy and declare by faith God would pay for it. I, nobody told me that was the wrong thing to do. So uh, we met with the staff. I'd have to meet with, my staff was pretty much volunteers, but we'd have to meet on Sunday after we had it to Piccadilly with the senior adults. That was very important. More important than my preaching was the Piccadilly lunch after the service at that church. Uh, and then I would meet with my staff and I knew about some of the budget issues. And so that Easter, I preached and prophesied and we, we held up the seed like we do here. And I was in my twenties, you know, I, I, I was just, you know, doing my best. And, uh, on that Sunday, we took in the largest offering in the history of the church 
and someone drove by the church anonymously, we still don't know who it is, and put a $20,000 check in the church, we still don't know who it was. You ask Dr. Bobby Atkins if that's true because I remind him often that I took the biggest offering in the history of the church, my mentor. But what I'm telling you is whether you're on Memorial Drive with pimps and prostitutes and drug addicts in a church that's full of poverty or you're in a penthouse, God knows where you are. God will show up when you least expect it to meet your needs. We should give our best gift this season, number three, because we are thankful for what God is doing here and what God has done in the past. Sometimes we give a memorial offering because we are thankful for our church or, or, the, or the Lord in a season in the past where we were struggling and God brought us through or used the church to bring us through. You give a memorial offering. But I'm thankful for what God's doing in the here and now. We should be grateful for what God has done for us. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to be alive. How many of you are thankful to be alive? I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful I'm under the grace of God, not under the law. I'm thankful for Abbott's house and RPMI. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for the miracles I've seen. I'm thankful for the souls I've seen. I'm thankful that I pastor the greatest church with the greatest people on planet Earth. Wouldn't trade you for anything in the world. You are amazing. I'm thankful for what God's given me. I'm thankful for a good looking wife that still loves me for some reason. I'm thankful for three awesome boys that are tough and smart and good looking. I'm thankful for my life. If I die tomorrow, y'all get up and preach this funeral, but you remember, here's what I want you to tell them, he had fun. He had a good time. I did. Worshiping Jesus and living your purpose is a powerful thing and a seed can propel you into that. Let me say that again, a seed can propel you in to the harvest you've always wanted. Everybody going, Teresa Biggs, you know, this was a dream to, to do what she's doing to help people. She, she doesn't want money for it. She didn't ask for a job here. I just thought she's led so many people to the Lord the last 10 or 11 years. We need to back her up, bring her on this team, you know? But here's the reality because she is my friend and we're in covenant, I know. This was a promise many years ago before she even was in this city. And she's sown into it. She sowed into it in her efforts to help the poor, in her giving to her church, in her faithfulness. She sowed and sowed and sowed. And the harvest is here. The dream she thought she lost has come to pass. God is no respecter of persons, friend. He'll do it for you. Somebody say, he'll do it for me. The next reason we should give in this season is because... God's place is a priority. In Ephesians, it says he'll do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. To him be glory in the church. It's called the church epistle for a reason. Listen, he's coming back for a church. He loves the church. It should be a priority in the life of every Christian. It's not a social club. It's not where I feel good. It is supposed to be a family and a functional kingdom unit that does the work of Jesus Christ together in unity. And I believe that's who God is molding us into. The fifth reason I believe we should give in this season is because giving enhances our prayer life. 
It says in verse 15 of Psalm 50, call me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Somebody say, he will deliver me. You know, it's easy to ask for something if you've been faithful. You know, if my kids have emptied the garbage and done the grass and they've done something, they say, hey, Dad, can I borrow 40 bucks? Sure. Now, if they've been on the Xbox all day long and I've been working by myself, they ain't going to get as much as they would have got. They had to get that from Abba. I'm human, you know. But it's the same thing with God. If you're communicating with God and you're praying to God, and you have a relationship with him, then when trouble comes, deliverance will come because you were already in covenant and having intimacy with God before the trouble came. Can I get an amen? He's not supposed to be a get out of jail free card. You're supposed to be in constant intimacy with God. If you've been faithful to give, you will not be reluctant to cry out to God. If you've been faithful to give to the things of the Lord and you need a miracle, I believe it's easier to ask when you've been faithful. It's easier to petition God when you know you've been faithful, doing what God has called you to do. The next reason I believe we should give in this season is because sacrificial giving brings spiritual deliverance. One of my favorite stories my father always told me about his first church when he was a young man, Lakeside Baptist Church in New Orleans, there was a lady that was married to a very abusive man. He would beat her up all the time. And back in those days, you know, you, you didn't see divorce as much as you see it now. And, and many women couldn't really get into the workplace. So she put up with this abuse. And, and many times my mother and father would minister to her and try to get her to leave this man and all of these things. And he was very mean to her. But this lady was a tither. She didn't make much money, but she, she was a tither. She, her husband wouldn't give, but she would give what she could and they did a fundraiser, a special offering, kind of like we're doing today, and she went to my mother and father's house and she signed her two-week paycheck over to my parents. Well, dad being a Baptist, pretty fundamentalist back then, he, he wasn't comfortable with it because he, he knew she was poor. He knew she'd been abused and, and he, he tried to give her the check back, which I've done many times to people who were, who were struggling. I've tried to give it back. And the lady said these words. He probably, you probably didn't know what the word so meant back then. I don't know. But she said, Lord's told me to sow this and he will bless me. So my father took the check. Six weeks later, that old mean, abusive husband was working at the Louisiana Superdome and fell off that thing and died. And she got a multi-million dollar settlement, put her kids through college and gave to God's work the rest of her life. And what I'm telling you is God will find out where you are. A seed is powerful. Faith is powerful. Prayer still works. Deliverance is available. If you trust God enough to act on his word, he will do it. He will do it. And finally, and I'll close right here. I believe God's going to do a new thing. You must bring your wealth in order to make way for the new thing. Can I get an amen? amen? You must bring your wealth in order to make way for the new thing. Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You've heard me preach it a million times. But we never go into those next verses. 
The next verses talk about what might hinder the new thing God wants to do. Would you like to know as we close? This is what it says. Verse 22, Isaiah 43. But you have not called upon me. Say that with me. But you have not called on me. Oh, Jacob, and you have been weary of me. Everybody say lack of prayer. You don't, you want to hinder the new thing? Give up on your prayer life. Next, you have not brought me. Everybody say brought, which means here to birth something new. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings nor wearied you with incense. So lack of prayer, a lack of generosity. Verse 24, you have brought me no sweet cane with money nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices but you have burdened me with your sins. Everybody say sins. You have wearied me with your iniquity. So lack of prayer, lack of generosity, and unconfessed sin. If, you, if we want God to do a new thing, we need to start praying again. That's why starting tomorrow, this building will be open from 9 to 11. If you want to come and you want to cry out for the Lord before work, take a quick lunch break, whatever, you can come in here and pray leading up to the conference. We got to pray. We've got to be generous with our offerings, and we've got to confess our sins because he's holy. He's a God of grace, but he's not going to hang around dirt and ugliness and unfaithfulness. I love what it says in verse 22 and 3 of Psalm 50. It says, consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice, thank offerings, honor me. And to the blameless, I'll show my salvation. So yeah, it's, it's rough for those who've dishonored him. But it's blessed for those that have honored him. Can I get an amen? And in Isaiah 44 verse 3, he says, He will pour water on those that are thirsty. Floods on dry ground and he'll pour out his spirit on your descendants. So it's about legacy, amen? So I believe God wants to do something. But the first thing we're going to make sure of is that if you're here today, you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You can't become a giver until you receive the greatest gift. So if you don't know Jesus, there's a free gift I want to tell you about. And that's called salvation. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in fulfillment with every Hebrew prophecy. He never sinned. They crucified him. He was put in a bar tomb, got up out of the grave on the third day, rose. People saw him for 40 days. He commissioned his church. He promised to come back and left us the Holy Spirit so that we might have eternal life when we die and kingdom purpose on earth. God loves you so much. He sent his son. He gave you his best. And all you have to do is accept him. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Yeah, that's you and that's you watching online. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, I just want you to pray this prayer with me before we get into the next part. Would everybody bow their head with me? Help me out of this house. I know we got many saved saints in the house. Help me pray this for some folks that may be lost in the house or watching online. If you need Jesus in your life, just pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name.